Kia ora, crew. Uh, so, unfortunately, when I was recording Spy, I pushed the wrong button and recorded Spy through the wrong microphone. I assure you it won't happen again. Uh, however, Spy's stories are so unreal that you'll soon forget about the questionable audio quality. Uh, cheers, crew, and enjoy anyway. I'm your host, Pat Tony, and today with us we have Spy Dunbar. Welcome, Spy. Tony, you good? Yeah, bro. How's your summer been? Um, my summer's busy, man. Summer's crazy busy. Used to be kind of chill time, or for a long time it was more than any, but um, now it's busy, 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 but it's all biking and family and still around. Sweet. Speaking of uh, family, I've seen on uh, Laura's Instagram that Dylan's dropped in. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. So dropped yeah. in on the skateboard. Yeah, skate club. So, yeah, it's quite cool, actually. Red. There's no way he would have done it for me, but you know, he's got a um, big brother there to kind of hold his hands, whatever. He had to step up to the plate, so Mate. he's not got quite a suspect, got a suspect but he'll get there. So, his dad uh, appearing back on the skateboard? Yeah, too. I've had a few roles lately, actually. So. Yeah, I've got, um, I've got a street board as well, like a little short, um, you know, pivot turn slasher. Pumps mm. real good, big gummy wheels. And then I've got an eight and an eight bowl board. Me. And um, occasionally skate Mungwera, um twice, three times a year, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it was real good. And then it's cool nowadays anyway because you can take your pushy down as well. And you can roll your pushy around the skate park as well. Yeah. Pump tracks especially. Pump track at Northlake and yeah, that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, we'll crack into it then. Um, where are you originally from and how did you get into snowboarding? I was from Talpo and my background was um, was windsurfing back in the early days. Like there was a period of time when the sport appeared and developed, and and everyone was doing it. Um, I was riding little shortboards. It was almost like a surfboard, and you had this water start, and that just drag you out of the water, and you know you could do flips and barrel rolls and all that stuff. And so I was quite heavily into that. When in its heyday, spent my whole time going up and down the coastline, waiting for wind, looking for wind, getting in the surf, blasting across the lake. And um, the guys I worked with, um, Challenger Sports, they used to bring, bring in Bombora sailboards. The while um, Bruce Bartley, one of uh, the CEO guys, anyway, he um, he brought back a, um, a Elite fi- uh, Fifty Five, a Britain, yeah, yeah right. Britain Elite Fifty Five and Sixty Five, and a Safari. And uh, he just handed them to me and said, "You got this vessel stuff out." <laughs> <laughs> so Quite he, literally, you know, he was like, you know, I didn't, I didn't even see it coming, you know. And I walk into a meeting and he's like, he comes out and he's like, "I got these for you. You need to suss this out." And that's how it started. You know. All right, so straight, sort of straight up real pay sort of thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Blue boilerplate beatdowns, that's for sure. Oh yeah. Actually, the early days, the first one of the oh, second time I went riding was Mori and Stingham. Steen Webster and um, Andrew Morrison. <laughs> Morrison's like fish out of water because he's an um, Auckland boy. Um, Steen had kind of done it before because he's American. And we, we went up in the combi, in Steen's combi, and we went up to the top of the Bruce and we got to ride um, Mead's Wall. And it was a gale. Uh, we weren't really allowed to go above it, but um, it was so windy. The mountain was closed, the lifts were on hold, then they shut down, and then um, the storm blew in. They got so gnarly they closed they closed the road down between the chateau and the top of the Bruce. 
and uh, Stan and Maury stayed in um, like a shelter up there. And um, I got in a mountain goat and went down the hill and the mountain goat took like an hour and a half because the road had just turned to blue boilerplate ice, right? And so they're crawling down with chains on and the patrollers would get out of the van, out of the, the mountain goat and check the road ahead and one of them just took off, hit the ice, Holy hit self-arrest, you know, it was like this full-on mission and that was the that was the first time, well, second time I'd been riding but first time I rode with Myron and Stan and they just froze to death. Maury, I'm sure Murray thought he was going to die. <laughs> they had no food. They landed a combi at the top of the roof in a blizzard, you know. <laughs> well, what, what's more dangerous, to drive down or staying up there in the bloody car? Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, no. I'm sure you talk to Murray about it. You're like, yeah, yeah, that was pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Murray's fucked this and straight back to the vert ramp then. Mm. Um, so were you sort of, before you shot through to Wanaka sort of thing, were you doing that for a couple of years up through a paper? Yeah, yeah, we, because obviously um, the sport wasn't around. The only people riding were the Frostbite, Frostbite boys. I think they're based in Wellington. Um, they made pretty cool pulls, actually. They looked like the Cruiser 165. You know? oh, and, and, they had, yeah, and they had fiberglass high-back bindings. So, you know, they were, I don't know who made Frostbite, but they did a good job back then. And, um, poor, and then there was a few woodies, but they never worked. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, you and your woody never worked. <laughs> And then uh, we had what was real tech, which was obviously the, you know, the Elite 150 or 55 or whatever. Elite, was it Elite 150, wasn't it? And it's Cruiser 165. Anyway, they were like swallowtails with a dish and a metal fin. So, that, so from your back foot to the tail was a, was a swallowtail with a little wee, like, two mil metal skeg in them. And they were foam and they had big spoony noses. They, they actually rode it right. They were just, that spoony tail didn't work, you know? Yeah. Mm. And yeah, you became a real flick footy, you know, and that's kind of the look back then in the early, early days was that whole flick footy shit, but that's thankfully disappeared. <laughs> ah, sweet. And then, um, so, messing around with a for a while, then you sh- shoot through, what was the reason behind heading down to Wanaka? Oh, no, I, I did a few years in Rupay. Oh, so, right. um, so, you know, I was still doing summer and winter, because summer was windsurfing, winter was snowboarding, and we kind of had to get it accepted, because in the first year or two we went up there, it was just a blanket no, you know, and we had to, every time we went up there, go and talk to Scotty Maisie or, you know, Scotty Bruce or, and, and beg to be able to go there, they just, the lifties would just hold up their hand and go, nah, no snowboarders. Oh, <laughs> yeah, in the early days, yeah. totally. And so we were allowed, so, so this is about Hut Flat 1 and 2, and then Mee's Wall was actually where we spent most of our riding, and then, and then we were allowed up from there to like the Waterfall Tea. Yeah, it was this long process, man. And then, you know, we turned heads because everyone was like, these guys come to Ryan, you know, and then we could actually get from A to B. I think when people got exposed to it, they quickly were like, oh, actually, you can't do left to Ryan's low down, you know? All right, come on up. You know? So was this sort of the mid-80s sort of thing? Yeah, well, I, yeah, yeah, mid-80s. Yeah. Oh, sweet. 86, 87. And so... And I didn't go to Wanaka until 88, so yeah, I guess I did a couple of years in Rupay. Right. And what was the um, inspiration behind the move down to Wanaka? <laughs> what is the inspiration? Um, the company I worked for uh, used to do a real growing importation company. We used to pump out the windsurfers, lots of them. And we had this um, shop on the lakefront, and um, they had like water ski charters and boat charter and yacht charters. And I think they just got like in debt with 
were charter boats. Yeah. And then, you know, it wasn't like really a flyer. Maybe it was before their time. And then they just had some financial difficulty. And then they scaled back on the staff and just kept pretty much the, the owners there. And instead of saying, you're fired, <laughs> they were like, hey, you're taking the winter off and you're working for a mate of ours in, in Monaco. Right. And they gave me an airfare and, uh, and told me what date I was departing. And my missus at the time, because I didn't know anything about this, you know, they just called the staff meeting and they're like, this is what's going on. And she's sitting there and, uh, and they tell me, we've got your job in Wanaka. And I'm like, oh, bullshit. Yes. And then I look across and she bursts into tears. Oh, she's no. like, you're moving to Wanaka? You know? Oh, man. So, yeah. Harsh. And were you writing for Burton at this time? No, we were, I was a tech rep, I guess oh, you right. call it. Yeah, yeah. There wasn't any particular skill other than being able to turn left and right. But, you know, no one could write snowballs back then. So, you know, we were learning every day. Mm. And so when you were in Wanaka, you were involved with um, the New Action Fun Crew. What was that? <laughs> so that is Henry Van Ash's brainchild. I don't know if anyone knows Henry. He's a super good guy. He's the bungee guy, basically. He's the other half of AJ Hacken. Mm. Um, anyway, he... <laughs> He needed a, I reckon he just needed a dog body, you know, and uh, he did this thing, yeah, called the New Action Fun Crew, basically, Triple Cone, so who, he's the guy that I got sent down to work for, you know, mm. um, and uh, I just flew into Queenstown, didn't know where they had to go, um, turned up on the night of Kiwi Lager Snowboard Nationals in Queenstown, in O'Connell's Pavilion, when O'Connell's Pavilion was first made. And, you know, Brad and the Reese's Snowboard Shop used to be up there and stuff like that. And walked in there and met all the Queens, met a whole bunch of Queenstown snowboarders straight away, like um, Willem Gronin and Ewan Strait and Anthony Young and all these, like, old school crew, like early, early pioneers, had just had the Kiwi Lager Snowboard Nationals, you know. So Rupe was lagging. Mm. Queenstown was actually pumping, like those those guys. You know, but it, you know, they were a good season, I would say, ahead of Ruapehu. Right. And the sport was already started, and, and that I think, that, and that was driven um, actually by Mark Brown from Cheapskates, um, and a couple of other people that were kind of based in this area. I think Stan might have been involved. No, he would have been competing. There were anyway. There was already an event run, the Kiwi Lager Snowboard Champs, which awesome. were. We are at Coronet Peak that weekend that I flew in in 88 and met them all, didn't get the ride, but met them all at um, an O'Connell's Pavilion and got on the piss with them all. <laughs> anyway, so then stayed the night there in a the backpack and still hadn't met Henry and, oh, I kind of knew who Henry was, but there was some other people as well. And then, but didn't, didn't go to Wanaka then, stayed the night. And then the next day I went to Wanaka, but I puked, right? Freaking puked like a, like a, you know, meter day. So a big storm came through. And um, I've I've been riding in Rupaya, right? Mm. It's blue boilerplate. <laughs> yeah. And um, and I've got my first day on the job at Triple Code. And I go to Triple Code, and there's a meter of fresh snow. I kid you not, oh, top to bottom, shit. Sundance, everything, like totally covered, way down the road, you know. And I get up there, no way have I ridden powder before, you know. <laughs> so I'm going up the chair with this uh, guy I met, Mike Dorking, dude, he's a ride back in the days, and um, and I'm like, oh, dude. Never ridden powder before, you know? <laughs> no shit, I get up the left, flop. Dig myself out of the hole, flop. <laughs> get 10 metres down the uh, down the trail, flop. <laughs> Sweating profusely, snow everywhere, super buggered, you know? And then I think um, Mike comes past me, he's like, dude, just point him in. And, you know, and that is your surfing sensation, you know? 
And, and I mean, from a Windsor background, I kind of figured it out real quick from that, you know, mm. stand on your rails, point the board, all ass, carve it up, and, you know. So I got it eventually, but it's pretty embarrassing. I'm like the news that I just dropped out. We just come down to join the New Action Fun Crew on account and just right down. And so was, <laughs> so was New Action Fun Crew like a ski school or something? Yeah. Oh, yes and no. It was a ski school and an events group. So we ran uh, um, Gun Barrel, Banks Lala, and we ran Triple Comp, which was hiking up the saddle and, um, and then bombing through the powder bowl, or the saddle, and then through Top Gun and then down to the base. Well, um, oh, we did. Uh, we did the early bank slaloms. So the TC bank slaloms been hey, going yeah. since then. Oh, that's right. Because I've just come back to running it, and oh. uh, and I'm like, you know, the first time I ran this event was '88. But this is going to be the longest running. Yeah, yeah I'm mean, sure it is. It's yeah. way, it's probably two years. Of that so we're we going to see a return of spy actually riding the bank. Oh no, I wrote it. I wrote it. No, I sure. ran it. It was epic. Yeah, so. I beat a couple of people, but I really enjoyed the run, <laughs> and um, I said it. So I sort of foreran it and got a time, and then, you know, sneakily had a look at where I sat. No, I got shamed by a few people, but it was a good fun. Ah, oh, sweet. Um, so was this about the time that the nickname Spy came around? Oh, yeah. Henry called me Spy. Because um, <laughs> there was a tail end of the ski bums, right? Mm. And there was Barrow's Tavern. Yeah. And so there was this um, bunch of, like, Trustafarian ski bums, doll bludgeoning ski bums that were kind of still hanging out in Monica. Mm. But then they started this influx of like shore boys who were surfers coming down, staying at the campground at Glen and riding TC and stuff like that. That you know, that's what sort of started during mm. that period. And um, so it's quite a social kind of atmosphere, and there was lots of new people to meet, and people were going out to bars and stuff. I mean, no, it's still pretty archaic, but it was way back then. And I just got introduced to everybody. Um, don't tell him anything. He's a spy from Burton. Oh right! I had my little quiver of Burtons, and I was talking about Burton. And the guys I worked with, Henry and Paul Teft, they imported Sims way back in the early days. And Paul Teft did a brand of boards called Rocky Mountain. Rocky Mountain, or no, he was sponsored by Rocky Mountain. Those were good boards, man. And so, so I was the Burton spy. So right. So Paul was Rocky Mountain. Henry was uh, Sims, and he was a monoskier. And I was, um, and I was. The so were you a team rider or something? No, point? still just a just. Just oh, right. yeah. Sweet. Yeah, teams didn't exist in snowboarding at that and stage, you know. And um, it's so early there wasn't that many. And so you were at TC for a few years? Oh, I came and went. I was at TC in 88, 89, 92, 93, and then I went away from TC for years because I just got engulfed by a Cadrona. <laughs> right. Oh, and actually, no, that's not true. I went up and down the country all the time. So mm. I was running, I was running the Snowboard Association running events, I ran regionals and nationals, and I ran like the Trevs, oh, I helped Trev and the boys run the skate jam, and I did the oh, Euphoria so. Skate Snow, you know, and, I, and we did some hut stuff, and yeah, so, mm. so all that stuff happened later. Oh, sweet, so later. When, when you're at TC, um, Ollie Burks told me I've got to ask you about the Pogger Bogger half pint at TC, like you were something, were you something to do with, with that? Oh, that came later, no, that was, um, that was way later. That was, so I stayed with Burton for a period of time, and then I don't even know how the hooker booger thing kind of came about. It was just uh, I was working. That was that was kind of later. That was when I was working for Snow World. Oh yeah. And they started. Um, yeah. <laughs> there were people bringing. Oh no, it was um, Noel Smith from Colorado Traders. That's who it was. Right. So Colorado traders bring in Smith goggles, 
no broad and hooker booger snowboards. They're actually made by Smith, which is kind of connected to K2 and I don't know, there was all those old school relationships and that's how the hooker booger came about. Right. But um, some of those boards were hoax and some of them were dope. Mm. Like there's a, I think you've got one, it's like a blast or something like that, which is like actually you could look at it nowadays and go, mm, that's not far from modern shape. You know? Yeah. But then there was that scalloped, dual camber, um, varying heel toes side cut twin, mm. which looked freaking stupid. It was like the old Bert Lamar, which, which is actually quite a good board. And um, that was a good board. Mm. That was a real good board. It was yeah. a t- true twin. It was way before its time. You know how Inca brought in the dual cameras and they're like, it's the latest shit. Yeah. Hell no, that stuff has been done years ago, you know? Well, it's like all these companies are like, well, check it out, new asymmetrical designs. Like, dude, yeah, asymmetrical has been yeah. gone on for a while. Yeah, but Hooker Booger, I mean, it's such a stupid name, but it's Euro. Mm. And Euro had a Scott connection and, you know, actually, <laughs> we had some good times with Hooker Booger because they were connected to Scott. So we went to Kitchen in Idaho and, and went riding with, like, you know, the Scott. Um, goggle, ski, pole kind of team, stayed in the CEO's house, which was right at the bottom of Mount Baldy. We had wicked tree runs. We had a spa pool next to the bar. It was ridiculous. We lived like kings, you know? Yeah. And we just went there and rode because we were part of Team Hooker Booger, you know? And then, and then checked out, like, Bridget Bot, you know, checked out Idaho and Montana and places like that. So, so yeah, before cool. a lot of that would have been on the radar, too. Yeah, like, yeah, man. There's good parts of the States. There's quality riding there, man. Well, there's a certain generation, like, I think my generation, like, think, has to thank Hoogabooga. Like, you think about how many Hoogaboogas were in uh, rental departments across the country with ski boots, and most people I know my age or my generation, first day was on a Hoogabooga with, like, oh, yeah, ski boots. And yeah, but the ones they did for rental were just, yeah. you know, they were like, those oh, yeah, it's And remember, they did that wacky binding, that stupid binding that you could rotate you know, like, yeah. <laughs> there was some dumb shit, you know. And um, so, so I mean, so we, you were team riding, so that's that iconic Cadrona half pipe shot where you kind of wave oh, at the yeah, camera. Yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I guess because I, you, you take going Burton Dog Book, it was a seriously bad movement, I guess it was, but I didn't, you know, the wholesaler changed. I was never a team rider for them, I was selling the product. Um, I think it went to Australia, and they had an agent. I mean, that stuff still happens nowadays. It happened way back then, and then, um, yeah. Ironically, I finally came back to it through uh, through Guy Alty and High Ground and Seamus Button and those guys at later times. But <laughs> so to endure, okay, the, the world, the country had to endure for a period of time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, sweet. So yes, Hugabugga to. Bert, and that was just riding for Burton through higher ground sort of thing. Well, I went back and I worked for them, but yeah, I was a team rider for them, I guess. Um, it's quite interesting. I mean, I was a team rider for them, but you'd say it's kind of the same thing. I mean, I talk it up, I'm not very talented, and so I wasn't really a team rider. I was just consistent, you know. Plus, I guess the thing was, because that's that time, this is what you've got to kind of um, add to the timeline. It's quite early in the, in the development of the sport. I got involved in that instructing stuff. I got involved in the instructing stuff because we were one, the first people to kind of learn how to ride a snowboard. We'd had overseas experience. Um, there was lots of different Euros and internationals teaching around New Zealand, and we'd kind of broke down with them and go and do some lap, laps and stuff like that. Heaps of people wanted so to learn snowboarding. Like so when we, you say we, it's like you and oh, you and, and straight, straight and myself. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And so we started that whole instructor thing because some stupid shit was going on with snowboarding and we just wanted to make sure that people had good experiences, that, you know. That was Nigel Kerr. Nigel Kerr helped kick that into gear sort of thing. Oh, yeah. So, we were, so I, when I went, I went from triple guard to Cadrona and then triple guard to Cadrona, but um, I went to rentals and sort of rode and that was back when the pipes were getting made and that's when Nigel Kerr was there. And then... You know, I was on the doll. You can't really always stay on the doll. So I um, so, so we made money and we started a business from doing instructing certification and working for Cadrona. So I was employed by Cadrona. Yeah, Nigel Kerr was like, well, we collectively said this needs to be done and Nigel Kerr had the faith and kind of bullied us into so making did, it. So did you have much to go on, like seeing what people were doing overseas or was it just a straight blank canvas? Oh, no, 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 we just talked to people. Nah, all of that stuff, you know, if you've got the right, if you understand, you can break it down, you, you've got kind of biomechanics and then you've got like, um, but I think the big one is you've got people. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the bike mechanical stuff of snowboarding is pretty sort of black and white to a certain extent, you know, you stand on both feet. <laughs> yeah. You move your arms and your hands, you know, you look where you're going. Um, but the big one is, you know, how do you deal with people and how do people learn more about kids and so there's all that kind of, and, and, and Number one is give people good experiences and make sure they are safe. You know, it's just mm. simple stuff like that. No, not not just get to the top of a icy slope and go, yeah, bro, point it. <laughs> so that's so that's kind of the motive behind it. But you know, it took off. It was, um, but it needed to happen. Mm. You know, and so did that lead to you sort of leaving Cadrona and doing that as a full time? No, 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 I did both. I did both. Yeah, I just kept. I mean, no, you know, being at Cadrona for um, thirty. Years and over 30 years now, <laughs> but I haven't always worked for Cadrona. You know, I yes. worked sometimes I worked with Cadrona or I worked for Cadrona or I worked at Cadrona. You know, they change yeah. all the time because I mean, when I started there, I'd sort of see you around but never really seen you. I don't reckon anyone knows what I do at Cadrona. <laughs> <laughs> I just walk around and you know, talk to people. I think that's the end of that. Fucking technology's not always coming through. Uh, sorry, listeners, I'm having a rant and rave about technology. Um, so where were we? Snow instruction. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Um, that, that, I mean, that stuff consumed and, my life for quite a while. Yeah, so you were running the NZSBIA, that sort of thing? No, back then it was um, just a snowboard instructing association. All right. And um, we, we got it up and running. I mean, when you want to start something new, you, you, you're kind of arrogant to think you can do it on your own. And all we really did is went out there to the different resorts and the people were already teaching and we got a group together and we collectively went what works and what doesn't and then we just worked with that group of people to deliver in the different regions and it was quite smart. We had a good um, camaraderie with the people we worked with. We were definitely progressing and going forward. You know, it was the sport looking after the sport, the snowboarders developing snowboarding. And so um, it worked really well as the Snowboard and Instructing Association. Were you also running events at this time? Nah. Oh, well? I started running events through New Action Fun Group um, and then I dabbled in them, but no, I wasn't really. So, like, because I remember you, like, competing in the Nationals in the 90s, you were more of a competitor yeah, than yeah, a big yeah, guy that yeah, sort of time. I mean, it was the early stages, so people didn't bust out tricks like nowadays, you know, they did funny little grabs and, and um, you know, yeah, <laughs> ended up becoming beat off the ground. So it's kind of a different sport, but you know. So who would, who would have been some of the standout riders in this time? I'm sort of talking about. I don't know who the first standout riders were. Were people like Quentin really? And I mean, 
Quentin Robbins. Yeah, like, yeah. And um, I mean, he was the one that really sort of turned heads because he was just such a he's just such a natural snowboarder, you know. Mm. Um, Trip Ponting was around in the early days, you know. I guess. Um, so, yeah. so this is kind of the mid nineties sort of thing. Uh, yeah, guess, Stan yeah. Webster. He was always the technician, you know. Yeah. There was a few. There was this kind of succession of like um, alpine riders that were really good. And remember, the sport back then was kind of like racing. It sometimes included moguls. It was like a half pipe was a gully. Um, <laughs> you know, like slopestyle didn't exist. Rails didn't exist. So it was pretty different mm. sport back then. So I, I found something in one of your interviews that I found quite funny. Was that this must be the sort of same time where the prizes for competitions back then was like a bunch of beer and a board that you had to return in a year later. Oh, is that, is that different, different times, but yeah. Um, sportive agencies, I think it was, gave me a hot snowboard, how hot the brand, which was kind of cool. Like, you know, they were a Euro ski kind of company, so it was a well-made board, but it was back in the days when these boards had big, massive, spooky noses, you know, and yeah, they gave it to me with this with this piece of paper saying that I'd use it for a year and I'd give it back to them. But, and I was also one of their team riders, but I wasn't even I was a team rider for someone else, you know. But actually, <laughs> it was also the time that um that boards changed and everyone started jib, we started jibbing everything, you know. Mm. So um, the first and most obvious ones were those crazy domes they used to put over the top of snow making hydrants, you know. Yeah. Um, those were just like an invitation to you know bonk and slide and jib and. <laughs> yeah, just mess. And anyway, and and so the so instead of riding on a on a powder day on a groomed trail where you do wall hits and shit like that, and so I just got a bandsaw, um, a jigsaw, and I just cut the nose and tail off the board, and I just made this little wee like low riser twin tip. Such a good board. Man. That was that hot like, board. Yeah, and I kind of look at your quiver, and I'm like, actually, even though that board was way back then, I just sawed the nose off it. And it became real similar to, you know, to yeah. your modern day boards a little bit, you know? Yeah. I see. But it's just different terrain, I guess. And sort of Wanaka at this time would have been a very different um, place to what it is now, sort of thing. Like, yeah, it was real frustrating in some ways because it was a, it was a, um, it was a quiet little rural town, you know? Yeah. And um, that was quite hard to deal with because now it's such a social hotspot. Mm. But honestly, back then, man, so different breed of people, and and it was locals. You know, was, you kind of knew a crew that lived here, and then you can imagine all the, you know, Belclutha, Dunedin, Southland. You know, there's a lot of rural folk that would come here because they they were holiday homes. You know, and it was quite a mash of people. So this know. leads to some confrontations and barrows and that sort of thing. Oh, yeah, but I, I, I think. Initially, the town was real quiet. You kind of had to stay quite low key because you know you didn't really relate to that to those people. And you were here for the season, and then you were gone. You know. Mm. But then, as the sport grew, what happened is you started getting crews of people, like especially the shore boys. That was pretty funny. So, who were the shore? Like, well, the hunt. Well, the, I mean, hunt brothers. There was this whole succession of people that came down. There was a Taranaki crew. There was there was a um, North Shore kind of crew, and so people figured out. You know how you yeah, that's surfing on snow. So yeah. in winter, when it's you know you're in a fall through with booties and a hood, you might as well come down and rip up the snow. And, and that, you know that was a whole crew that stayed at Glendo and stuff like that. So then when they started being like mobs of crew that would just catch up together, then all of a sudden Barrows, which is predominantly uh, you know a rugby cricket pub, quiet pub, you 
know, and in the sort of the weekends, the, the out-of-towners would arrive, all of a sudden had this, like, regular local crew hitting the piss of, like, frothing snowboarders, all looking whack, talking different shit. <laughs> That's why there was that time, there was, like, different gangs, it wasn't gangs, but you know what I mean? It was a different mindset of people come together and they're like, Fuck you, fags, you know? It's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, whatever, guy. Right? Look at the funny change of people, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I sub- heard stories about, like, you know, fights and barriers. It was like snowboards versus rugby heads and oh, all that stuff. Nah, so, so I think the other thing that happened too was um, because straight away this became the hotspot for snowboarding, like Queensland and Wanaka, and there was events going on and stuff like that, and there was gatherings, it was. Um, it got real busy, and so we did, and, and we started doing after parties at Barrows and stuff like that. That's when stuff got crazy because you know a quiet rural pub all of a sudden ended up with two hundred grommy snowboarders just old enough to drink or certainly trying to steal cans and sneak in the windows. You know what I mean? And so it got to this like real heaving point, and uh, some some crazy. We had the odd crazy night, so crazy that people still remember them because they were pretty loose. But it's not like they happened all the time, you know. It was just there was just freak experiences so, where shit went mad. I talked to Nguyen's one about the '96 Nationals, which was the after party I went to. It's yeah, a grom, yeah, my old yeah, man. Yeah, and just the carnage was fucking hilarious. And, mm. You know, and well, see, the thing is, honestly, if you saw if you saw that shit nowadays, it would be shut down because it was just real raucous. You know what I mean? It, it was like um. It's just got, it was just out of hand. Mm. <laughs> it was super cool, you know, oh, like, man, we were all, it was just a whole bunch of people just frothing and hard and, and you know, I, I fucking high to like, just in that mosh pit. I got fucking owned between you and Ollie Brunton. Oh, and I was just fucking be, yeah. happy as fucking shit, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. That was, um, yeah. Um, yeah, so like, you sort of mentioned the Hunt brothers before, they were quite like, <laughs> I don't know why you bring that up, but okay. So there's an incident. Well, there's an incident. Just uh, yeah, there's a couple of incidents over the bar because those boys are staunch, you know. And um, <laughs> we're all about jocks. This is the thing you got to remember. Everyone's just you know <laughs> tripping balls. And uh, I have a guy, you know, and and uh, and mad shit goes down. I mean. <laughs> It was just some crazy shit, and one year, you know, I was probably in their face, and then the next time, they're, like, stepping me out, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, hang on a minute. (laughs) (laughs) But they were both, like, real powerful riders and shit, eh? Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, they're both really good surfers, that was the whole Mm. point, they're super hot surfers, and and they were there for the season, so they're smashing out laps, they were, you know, they were TC hardcore back then, you know. Because mm. Richard went on to coach in New Zealand juniors or something for a while. Oh, uh, yeah, Richard. Something. Yeah, Rich. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he definitely got involved in that. I mean, in the early days, it, there was an opportunity to kind of like ride, learn, and then share and nurture, you know, and mm. so that, that stuff. Um, so you were instructing a bunch at this time. Did you end up doing the sort of endless winter, following the snow? Was instructing per se? Or? Yeah, yeah, I've done 20 years of back-to-back winters. But back-to-back winters are hard and, you know, you kind of lead five lives. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, you do a Wanaka winter, you do a Taranaki, Taupo, coast kind of uh, in-between season, and then you 
go overseas and then you do that winter and then you go somewhere in between that, you know, and then you come back for winter. And, I mean, that's quite hard, you know. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't like some all flights anymore and I, and I do like to go and meet people and travel the world, but, you know. So whereabouts for your instructing? Oh, no, I did it in a whole bunch of different places. You know, I worked in Whistler in the early years and would love to, I need to go back and, Biking wasn't really there anymore, and I'm pretty hardcore into the biking now, and so, I'd love to go back so to Whistler. We were you sort of in Whistler about the mid 90s, sort of thing? Uh, no, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Were you there yeah. at the same time those dudes were doing the whiskey videos and shit? Yeah, yeah, Did I you, partied with some of them. So you ran into those dudes and shit? Oh, I lived with some of them too. Fucking <laughs> hell. Like, was Dennis it? Bannock, <laughs> not Sean. What, was it as fucking gnarly as the videos make it out to be? Mm. Like, Okay, so here's the mentality of those guys, right? And it was crazy to hang out with them because they were absolute frickin' lunatics. But they just got smashed. Like, if you went into a bar with them, they would just order um, 50 shots of tequila. And a tray of 50 shots of tequila would turn up and they would all just smash them. And in the space of no time, they'd just write themselves off. And then that the night was starting, you know, and they just carried on their pace. All night, you know, Fucking day up. after day, they were just animals. And, and um, I guess the, the mad, like, people got hurt, crazy shit went down. It was freaking entertaining to watch. I didn't see all, I, you know, was, from those whiskey videos, you saw so much gnarly shit. Mm. You were just like, wow. So what's the gnarliest shit you've seen them do? Like, <laughs> No, you, most of the gnarly shit you'd see them do would be fucking the result of ambulances. Right. Stuff like that, you know, because they try stuff that wasn't a good idea and get smashed in the process, you know. And they're already fucking half pissed and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. They were a pretty staunch bunch. Like, I. <laughs> you don't want to get in their face. You just need to let those guys do their thing because they were freaking mad, you know. Yeah. Oh, shit. Um, we'll rewind the tape a little bit. Are we involved much with the building of the half pipe blades, Macadrona? No, oh, a little bit. I mean, I'd, you know, I'd cut out the steps and. But no, that stuff was Ewan and Mark Beggs and Nige and Dave Collard and the maintenance team and all that kind of stuff. Because I was kind of, I, I was probably at Triple Cornwall then. And then I, but I did actually come back to Cadrona um, because they were like, yeah, we're going to build a half pipe and we're right in there. You know? Yeah. So, and, and hey, the only way the pipes got built is, well, in the early, early stages was, yeah. I mean, then you look at those old school Cadrona videos and there's a couple that I'm sort of gaining the pipe, but, but you know, I was just a chainsaw guy and the break off the smooth out the train. Shape, guys, shaping so, it with a chainsaw. <laughs> cut the chainsaw and then break off the vert step and then cut the blade, use a blade to cut to that vert. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, shit. So, like, for a while there, were you based in Christchurch and you were kind of like the visiting hub of, like, the overseas pros? And nah, was, nah. So I did X amount of time here. Some some time back in Taupo when I broke my leg and then I kind of came back down here and then what would happen is there was a real good crew in Canterbury. Like, like I don't know if you've ridden many of the clubbies, but the clubbies are worth hanging out in Christchurch for. You know, like yeah. they're, they're kind of real special. They're real unique. They're real good on a powder day, you know. And okay, I haven't ridden, I still have to this day, I haven't ridden Temple Park. Done enough days at Olympus and Porters and BR and and Craigieburn, you know, there 
those places are real special. So, um, and then the other thing about Christchurch, rather than living down here, is Christchurch is a city, you know, so there's skating. And so I always, when I came down, I used to hitch all the time. I'd send my gear and I'd come down and I'd catch up with like Crichton, and Seamus, but, and, um, and they lived in Hadley Park. And man, Christchurch was really banging, actually. He wanted to stay there for a while because it was super good times. And there was plenty of couches to crash on and you could ride the clubbies. And yeah, so that was kind of my Christchurch time. And then I also, um, I've done stuff down here and then I took it to Canterbury. So that's when I did, that's when I kind of met all the, you know, Ride Hog and <laughs> Yippah and Jeremy Kidd and Trent Bonting and um, Quentin. And then I did some, some Canterbury time, rode hard a bit, not as much as those guys, rode the clubbies when I could. Um, worked for a company called Salomon, who then imported, I'll start, yeah, started importing Salomon snowboards, or Snowworld, Salomon snowboards. Lived in South Shore in, in Guy Alti's old house, actually, and had the Widowmaker, like the super whippy four foot mini, <laughs> built into the sand dunes with spotlights out the window, and had the windsurfers in the mail, and the surfboards in the trip, like, you know, just, it was a real good setup in Christchurch, you know, like it was a frothing crew, Hachi. There's a big crew of us at Christchurch was real banging, and I did that for four or five, nah, nah, for a few years. But I've got real fond memories of Christchurch because it used to be such a healing town, you know. It was also back when um, drum and bass was really cranking in the early stages, and you know, Jay, and, and oh, there was just all this kind of DJ crew. And Christchurch was real, real, real fun back then. I've still got good friends from those Christchurch days, and I had. You know, I love the clubbies, and then not the spend time in the clubbies. You have to, yeah. You know, eat humble pie. And, and I did, and I did. I, I travelled up and down the country, and so I did Rotorua. This is when I was kind of like, I still doing instructing courses, so I passed through, you know. And then I started to transition into snowboard association and and the event stuff. But that kind of, you know, there was definitely a period where that switch changed. Speaking of like competitions and shit, can you shed any light on the story I heard about? Tony Walston and Paul Trapsky riding a moped in a snowstorm over the Crown Range to get to the Nationals one year? No, no, it was um, Steve Dun. Oh, it started way before that. So Steve Dunstan from Huffman. Yeah. All right. Um, oh, actually, got to go back. Willie, I brought Willie down to Wanaka. Willie and Ian Madrid. Right. Okay. So I, I hassled those guys because I knew them through skating in Hamilton. I think I lived in Hamilton from time to time as well. It's a whole nother life story. <laughs> but anyway, and so, yeah, Ginge, Willie, and I road trip down in Willie's Combi, and we lived in Queenstown way back in the early days. We lived in Frankton, and we built that tight little win- whippy mini um, by where Bumblebees, and not, or where the backpackers used to be, and, yeah. and that, that ramp came here and was like the... Um, Is that one? Yeah, that little mini that had that little extension. Well, we built that in yeah. Queenstown first, you know? Um so anyway, so, so the Woolly thing is a whole another saga. And anyone that doesn't know Tony Wilson, he's a unique individual. He's, you know, he's like, <laughs> he's a, he's a, no, you don't know anyone like him. You know, he's a, he's a Christian fellow that's just like so innovative and he's got such a spark to him. And he just, uh, he was a phenomenal snowboarder back in the day. Mm. Like just his own style, you know, like people knew about Woolly because when you watched him ride, 
you were like, wow. <laughs> you know? And um, there's, there's lots of stories about Willie. And then Ginge came down. I remember when Ginge oh, met his first. Give, give us one Tony Walston story then. Like your, your favourite Tony Walston one. I oh, getting him drunk. That was pretty funny. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> or coming home and he turned all the furniture sideways and he had a VHS cassette and he's like filming himself, like sitting on the walls. And, and there's, there's lots of crazy things. There's lots of crazy things. Ginge got laid for the first time. He lost his virginity in Queenstown. Hundley, the European <laughs> girl. Hundley! <laughs> that shaped his life pretty majorly. Um, Ginge only did a season down. Tony Wilston did three or four and then actually haunted me in Whistler and caused me quite a bit of... Got me in trouble that was nothing to do with me. So oh, did, really? How so did, did Paul Tratsky. Paul Tratsky had the, um, had the FBI around my um, staff housing. Fucking my staff what? housing in Whistler and there's a knock on the door and I opened the door and, you know, like um, Mulder and whatever her name is turned up at the door with the FBI badges trying to find a Paul Tracksky who had been illegally importing Liptic snowboards from um, across the border. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh, yeah, man. Without, a, without an import license or something like that. Straight up. <laughs> it was hilarious. They, they freaking camped. So I'm living in staff housing, which is pretty stripped. And they lived in a van, which is manky sweaty and frozen so I actually had icicles inside and um, they get, used to get so cold that they they figured out the code to the door and they knew that staff housing had this really nice lounge and they moved into the freaking lounge but it's staff housing with like 500 other people and of course I nearly got evicted because of them you know but it was, it was pretty funny times they I kid you not Tony Walston this is how resourceful he is he lived on the streets from getting cans out of rubbish bins. Really? And then he did every single fast food special you could imagine to feed himself and live. <laughs> like he's the most resourceful person. Uh, he did the same. I mean, you've got to mention some guy. He's a Christian, you know, and uh, and he's and he's just so into helping people, but he's such a, I don't know, his mind is wired differently. He went to India and he, um, he started up, he rented a mosque and he went and found dead and dying people off the street and brought them back to his, his mosque and nursed them through their death. You know what I mean? Fuck like me. he did That's this kind so of Christian nice. outreach stuff. Like the stuff that Tony Wilston has done in his life is, is amazing, you know? And yeah. <laughs> That's but, a long way from being like a skate style. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like super good skate. His, um, his brother, um, Scott, is a phenomenal skater. He won the national deck in the day, you know? Mm. And um, obviously Scott's younger, so he wasn't kind of part of our crew. But, you know, Ginger and... and Tony and I definitely had a period of hanging out together in Hamilton and down south, and it was pretty funny. So that was an issue in Queenstown, not Wanaka? That was definitely Queenstown, yeah. yeah I right. moved away from the, the Wanaka because left both us to it. <laughs> so just, yeah, everything I've seen in the magazine about Tony Walston was like the warp sense of humour and just fucking frontside 360 cross rockets and shit. Oh, he's such a good skater. He brought such a good skating style to the sport, and he was the, he was the pioneer jibber. You mm. know what I mean? Like doing rodeos back when before people knew what they were called and shit. Oh yeah, oh yeah, taking the sport to a whole nother level before anyone else did. Shit, well that was. <laughs> so who were like some of your favourite riders you were looking at at that time, like locally, internationally? Mm, I mean, there's a whole crew, you know. Like I could talk about Holly B and, and stuff like that, but you know, Holly B did his thing, you know. Holly Brunton. Burke. Uh, Holly Brunton, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Holly Burke was. Just part of the crew, Dill Butt, Seamus Butt, Crichton Bone, um, Danny Meyer, you know, like anyone that doesn't know Danny doesn't realise how 
influential he's been globally in the sport. So you know? Was he the first international pro from New Zealand? Yeah, so probably, so. probably, yeah. Like had a radio promo and stuff, eh? Yeah, 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 but he just campaigned and did all the stuff in the early days back in Europe, you know, and then kind of then started visiting New Zealand again. But then he had a Rapay connection, which was really cool, actually, and, and when he came back, all of a sudden, you realised, oh, shit, we already know this guy through other friends of his, you know, because mm. he, 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 he has, you know, he's from Wellington originally, so he's got, like, real strong New Zealand roots. But yeah, he was he was Euro, oh, like Kiwi Meyer. And, <laughs> and who was your riding crew? Your riding was was just like fucking anyone that was there, sort of thing. Or no. I sort of mentioned Tony and Ginge. And yeah, no, uh, my my ride is kind of different. You know, I'm kind of the back then, maybe not so now, but I, I'm just the guy that puts your headphones on and goes and shreds. You know, I don't. I actually, to be honest, like. Like, there was the days when, um, you know, there was this heathen crew that were doing all the TC wall hits, right? Mm. It's a classic case, because Cardi's had the pipe, but it was still kind of, you know, man, manky. I don't know. It was in a really well-built pipe. But, and, and then TC was such a better place to ride, because it was free riding. Mm. There's actually, you know, the two mountains couldn't be further apart. But one thing that is um, common is that, that the cut tracks would turn into highways, and what happened is this whole bunch of people and the hump boys were part of it, um, their transitions were war hits on Triple Tree, you know, mm. and they just spent their days, as people do nowadays, doing war hits, you know, and that's where you're doing alley-oops and, you know, you're doing everything. So everything was switch, everything was forward shifties, you know, like mm. late shifty, rewind shifties, like, <laughs> and that's what Quentin, I, you know, I, I kind of, I look at the sport and I look at the style and I think of, you know, all the cool parts of the sport, not that, you know, I can spin to like as many rotations as I can until mm. I hit the ground, but actually I can like look, I can arch nice lines in the ear kind of thing, and that yeah. skate style to me was always cute, you know. And, I mean, he was such a naturally gifted snowboarder, mm. right? Like, mm. just... You know, and Ollie learned, Ollie Brunton learned from Quentin, and then those two became unit, mm. and they became that type, that crew, you know, and Ollie's a talented individual for sure. Mm. And but you know it's Quentin in my mind that was the right because I mean you know like those dudes dominated the contest scene from from now from like a grommet looking in all you see like would be like that Koru base graphic in the magazines and be like Ollie or Quentin like always placing first or second and oh that's still the comp always Quentin you know? yeah he was the, he, he was the talent you mm. know what I mean like I don't think people realize how talented that. Maybe he doesn't either, but, you know, he, he could have taken it globally, you know. And there, and there was other people that kind of came up in, in later years, you know. Mm. Gareth Mowat, you know, I actually feel yeah. like um, Gareth Mowat could have taken, could have gone global. You know, he was a truly talented snowboarder, mm. you know, and there was other people. That and then, like that. you know, down the line you've got, like, Dylan Butt, who I'm pretty sure Dylan and Denny did take it kind of global. Yeah, that sort yeah, of thing. And yeah. Oh, Buttress still is, you know, <laughs> it is crazy because he was a powerhouse, you know what I mean? Mm. He was a total powerhouse. He went big. He was a whole package. McTwist's yeah. first hit. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's bust out. Like, man, pipe riding. Buttress's pipe riding. Oh, the Jackways boys? Holy moly. Well, you yeah. know, so, so yeah. I guess what happened is, there, you know, there was kind of like that first group, but then it grew. And, and anything when you're with a pack that are pushing the envelope and getting better then the sport raises the bar and so you, you know you could name a whole succession of people that kind of came in and raised the bar during the 
period of time, you know. Mm. And because, um, I mean, the, you mentioned the Jack Wales boys, which like, I think Wales probably had one of the longest careers as a New Zealand professional snowboarder, but it's easy to forget how big of a deal Tim Jack Wales was before Will came around. Oh, yeah. And Tim, like, fucking TJ dominated. and WJ right? were, like, the dynamic duo. Yeah, for sure. But you know what? They're, they're, um, they're quite possibly the first of a generation that learned to snowboard in their in their school years, right? And, and snowboarding was part of their schooling. Their dad was the principal, you know. Yeah. And so they were, and and this was their home mountain, you know. Mm. And so I guess that's why those those people. If you want to get good at the sport, you got to live in that environment. If you want to get good at sitting, you got to live on the beach. You know what I mean? And um, and those brothers are just natural athletes. Like right. to this day, um, they turn. They both turn heads. And um, to this day, if you've got video footage of them riding back then, it would still stand up easily. Do you know what I mean? Easily. Like they, they were heavy. If not, look better than a lot yeah. of riders today. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I started working at Cadrona, one of the dudes I worked with, Fraser, went to school with, must have been Tim. He was telling me, like, Tim played rugby until snowboard season, and then the first 15 while Tim was in there would win all their games. The snowboard season would happen. Yeah. He would piss off snowboarding, yeah. so he wasn't playing rugby. And they'd lose all their games. Yeah. So like, whoa, yeah. dude. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, so you ran tight with you and straight for quite a while. <laughs> so oh, yeah, I lived with it for years and years. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it's quite a crazy one, actually, because um, we did heaps of road trips together. You know, we lived together. We did a whole bunch of activities together. You know, I kind of. With you and I'm kind of permanently connected in a way, you know. Yeah, he's like a brother I don't have, and um, and he's still around. I still work with him occasionally. Talk to him today, and um, it's quite crazy to think back how long I've known the guy and, and what we've done together. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, he's um, I mean, <laughs> probably one of the more accident or injury prone people I've come across in my time. He's good. You say that because it's true. <laughs> He gets away with sometimes. Sometimes he comes away unscathed, you know. Um, I always remember the new and straight mountain biking stuff, actually, because I bike with him a lot as well. Man, you know, like chasing him down the hill on a mountain bike, he's going so damn fast, but then he loses it. And he goes over the handlebars and you just, and there's this cloud of dust and there's an arm and a leg and, a, and it's ragdolling beside you into the bushes, you know, or charging with your bike down into a gully and then he falls off this gully and falls like end over end off his bank and falls into like a beaver dam kind of wood stack and disappears like <laughs> well he's, he's got a pretty funny story on his one about a uh, concrete fucking oh the rebar the rebar <laughs> the rebar is beyond comprehension you, you can always always supersede anyone's gruesome stories yeah. with the story of you yeah, and getting rebar. the rebar eighteen inches up his rectum. <laughs> I was overseas, but I came back and this, he had his plaster me bag, you know, and he showed me a scar and he told me the story, and I was like, you know, I was like "Holy moly, <laughs> that is outrageous!" Mm. So, were you rolling with um, like the international pros coming through that sort of thing? Because um, it seemed like New Zealand started being a hotbed for like. The MacDog crews and the Ranquets and all those dudes sort of coming through. Were you rolling around with those dudes much, or <laughs> I just kind of help them out if you could read oh, <laughs> read right. between the lines on that yeah. one, you know? Like I was kind of a good person to catch up with really in the 
day when you heard the ride with the country because they had, uh, you know, tour, tour guide sort of thing. Yeah, tour guide. Yeah. <laughs> this is <laughs> where the best snow is. This is yeah, 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 yeah. Sax. <laughs> um, fuck, there's actually something I want to ask you, and this is kind of fast forwarding to 2009. Were you fucking at, because uh, I, was, I was at working at Cadrona at the time, were you there when Danny Castro was fucking van up to the half pipe and got stuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't think it was that unusual. It was comical. It was, but it wasn't that unusual. And there was a reason for it. To be honest, there was a reason for it. And <laughs> if you actually put yourself in Danny's position, I can understand why he did it. And that mm. is, he was at the pipe and he's riding the pipe and he talks to John who builds the pipe and John's like, <laughs> "Yeah, bro, just drive your van up to the pipe." Right. And so he did. <laughs> But, of course, it was while the mountain was open, it was through the middle of the groom trail, you know, in the middle part of the day, and so I guess he just, and, and, Cadrona was, well, actually it's true, but Cadrona was quite a loose place, so lots of crazy shit used to happen anyway, so, whilst it was comical and everyone was like, wow, what the heck, it wasn't entirely unexpected, it was just a funny story because his daddy cares, I mean, just as funny as the, you know, as the family, family thought that they could drive down the mountain because they could see a road below the ski slope so they drove on to the ski slope and then started driving down the ski slope. I mean it's not. Yeah, yeah. I just remember the radio chat on that one. It's like, yeah, it was quite cool. Stepped outside of the shop. And he was riding around and I'd be like, what's the actual fuck? <laughs> but, <laughs> so this time you're sort of, you're repping 540s as well, right? Oh so, yeah, yeah, Brian McKayla. So, um, Five was, was pretty cool. You've got to kind of think back, way back when, you know. Um, you couldn't import a gear, you know, it didn't all come out of Asia, everything was locally manufactured, or either had to be locally manufactured or, or um, you know, designed and built and imported overseas, and that was sometimes more expensive, not like it is nowadays. And so, yeah, Bronwyn had this company, of, and she made Ontron outerwear. It was really cool, you know, like... Um, I worked with her. She she already had her shit going on, you know, and um and she's such a nice lady doing such a good job providing shit that wasn't out there. Mm. And so she um she she made five forty. She started five forty. She used to be a fashion designer, I guess, and then she just started making outerwear. Her husband um, Bill Taylor, he's part of Cheapskates, you know. So there was obviously he, he would have been like, come on, I'm gonna make us some gear, yeah. you know. So that's kind of probably how they all started out. But she did such a good job, and then I. Then, they used to you know, gear and I used to help them make a few designs and you know, I used to rip stuff and go to the trade fairs and talk it up and all that kind of stuff. But nowadays nowadays well, you see that stuff that look dated but actually the technical features on that you know, the skirts, the, the fabrics, the seam ceiling, the performance of that gear would stand up today, you know, it just look really old. <laughs> yeah, well it's crazy how like back then I guess maybe it was something to do with importing, but there was so many New Zealand Brands, brands yeah, yeah. Well, sub-20s. I yeah. mean, sub-20s. That's a whole culture involved in there, you know? Well, Debs and Luca. And, I mean, you know, that's where, and, and if you think about Leggett, um, you know, AJ, those kids, they were all the sub-20 Grommies. Yeah, well, you know, They were the team riders. They were a heavy crew, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were, um, and, 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 yeah, it was Queenstown boys. So, so I guess that's the key, and that's a good indication of a company that's rider-driven. You know, Luca was a good rider. You know, the whole family are good snowboarders. He was the first person I seen actually chip. Luca. So it was at the some 
competition at Kadrona in 93. Oh, yeah, no, Luca and is a freaking good snowboarder. Yeah, he's also a phenomenally good surfer. That's the other right. Thing. Um, but, yeah, no, Luca's a talented individual. Yeah. Know? I always remember him in his coronet big, big years doing the biggest laid out backflips, you know, <laughs> under lights, and I'll be like, damn, Luca, you're freaking throwing down, you know? Yeah. And so he drew that, but then there was that, and then he was kind of older, but then there was that whole crew of Grommies, um, you know, Leggett and, and AJ were the most prominent amongst them, and um, those kids back then mm. were definitely like um, pioneers in the jibs, jib resort, jib culture, you know? Yeah. And, and all phenomenally good riders. And this was at the time when... If I remember rightly, the M1 trail was like a no oh. hit, no jump. Zone. Oh, yeah, they used to stand in the poles and throw wacky, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but also, the other thing, well, that's the M1, but actually, Coronet Peak is such a good mountain and it's such a skate park anyway. I mean, mm. it's been dissected by a lot of groomed trails now, but man, there's so many lines of Coronet Peak. And 20 centimeters of snow at Coronet Peak, you're going to have a damn good day. Yeah, everything's just on, yeah, mate. On. And it's tough supporting it's not, you know, you can yeah. just make sure it. Yeah. Um, we were sort of going to change the tack a little. Um, you and you and straight started the snowboard instructing yeah. organization. Yeah. And I read somewhere, and I think you and sort of dropped hints, you guys got a bit of a cold reception when you tried to grow it into something a bit more internationally recognized mm, by other government yes bodies. No, yes and no. Um, you know, look, at skiing back then was run by a bunch of um, die-hard skiers, you know, and not free skiers. <laughs> like, definitely not free skiers, like people that perfect the perfect turn, the pole in exactly the right place, and so, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I remember going to meetings with them about their instructor suit where they spent hours talking about the wrist action of planting your pole and following through the motion, you know. It's like, you're kidding me, right? <laughs> and, um, and, yeah, I, I think, the sport for any sport to succeed, it has to be driven by the sport participants. Like, don't get involved in the sport if you're not a participant in the sport. You know, <laughs> leave it alone. And um, no, nah, there was. I, I like the way it went in the end, but they were they played this little power game for sure. Oh, right. You know, you need to join us because then you get ISIA and you get global recognition and all that kind of stuff. And that's okay. We we you know took that on the chin, but it was a pretty. It, it was just a silly. Um, power struggle, you know, mm. where where it was an us and them and you better join us or else, but so be it, it's still, you know, that, that organisation remains today, it, ironically it's kind of, it's with them but separated from them, which is all you ever needed, you know, yeah, it was just a silly little political thing that happened back in the day, some mismanagement and miscommunication, but it's all good. And were you getting a bit of attitude, like the, the sort of ski board and skier versus snowboarder vibes back then or yeah. like hostile sort yeah. of stuff or yeah. Yeah. I mean it was still sports still banned in Aspen and you know certain Utah resorts and stuff like that but mm. no I don't, I don't so. but, but you um, were instructed in Aspen for a while mm, Snowmass Snowmass yeah yeah. I um, yeah I guess that's actually an interesting time because that was quite heavily where I transitioned from instructing to events um, and and that is, I worked at Aspen for a guy, Kevin Byford. Kevin Byford um, ran events, and the year before all those X Games, or two yeah, year before all those X Games kind of arrived, I used to run the Bud Light um, and um, Halfpipe Series and the Surge Snowboard Series. And, you know, so I kind of helped them out prior to the X Games, almost putting them on the map in that region and, and, and running international, regional international. Snowboard yeah. events, you know, 
And then, so I, I still went over there to teach snowboarding, but I ended up full time with Vince. I learned a lot, and um, I helped Aspen a lot, and then I kind of carried on from there. I'd love to go back and meet some of those guys, but I, I feel like you know, that's the X Games. So, but it's the same people. You know yeah. what I mean? It's quite cool. That was definitely a good thing to be involved in. <laughs> there was a um, shit, who was that? Um, it was a park shaper guy who came over. Jim. Jim Mangan. Jim Mangan. Okay, so yeah. the funniest story about that guy. So he's fresh off the boat from the US to New Zealand, knows New Zealand's pretty loose, gets on the piss in uh, Queenstown, goes to Voodoo Cafe, skin full of grog, you know, laughing his head off, does a pressed hand brown eye on the window of, um, of um, Voodoo Cafe, but falls backwards and sticks his ass cheek through the window. <laughs> Cuts his ass. That was a pretty funny story. But yeah, he was, because he was part of Aspen, he, um, Buttermilk's Pipe and Park, mm. you know. And then actually, you and Stray used to work over in Aspen Heaps as well mm. back then. And I hadn't been to Aspen. I was still, I don't know, going somewhere else. And then I went to, I only did a um, season and a bit in Aspen. I didn't right. spend a long time there. My, my periods I spent in the US were, well, were Canada, sorry, and Whistler for a long period of time. And then, um... I worked for like a mom pa resort in um, called Dodge Ridge in Tuolumne County, which is kind of um, um, Sonora Pass, South Lake Tahoe, you know, south of Kirkwood. I did quite a bit of time there. That was pretty comical. And I, it was Central Sierra. Sweet. And I ran heaps of events there. Oh, and I ran their snowball school. <laughs> I turned up at this um, American snowball school, mom pa resort, you know, real local community. I've got like a um, rave mullet, which is like, you know, a bullhead, but the but the whole back of your head grows out, you know, like not just a, not just a rat's tail at the back, yeah. and an underbeard. So I shave, I shave my face just on my chin line, but I have a big bushy beard below that. I walk out to line up with like, you know, 90 ski and snowboard instructors, and, you know, because I've been recruited over the phone in there. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, hi, my name's Graham, I'm your snowboard manager, you know. And none of them can understand me, you know. <laughs> just, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> yeah, they all look at me and be like, holy Molly, look at this dude. But man, that led on to many years and a crazy time living in a real redneck um, community in, well, I couldn't call it South Lake Tahoe, you know, Central Sierra, I guess. Mm. It was freaking funny times. No, really sweet. funny times. I mean, if you can get into so much trouble in Aspen. <laughs> and we did. You know, and Aspen's one of those places that actually almost too chaotic that you have to run away off. From, you know, mm. although I'd say that John Melville and Sophie they met in Aspen, and you mm. know, that, that was their connection. Um, have you had a like sort of injuries and that sort of shit? Have you had a oh, few run ins with that? And, and, and then through motorcycling in later years, my knee I'd take broken bones over a blown knee any time, you know. But uh, yeah. yeah, a mate of mine crashed into me when they used to have a mid station at Coronet Peak. Earned the name Snapper. Still a good friend of mine. And um, <laughs> he broke my leg. <laughs> I was like, Mike, you broke my fucking leg, man. And he's like, nah. And I picked it up and swung it. And pendulum below my knee, you know. Fucking oh, um, So, you know, in the cargo hospital and then Talpo and then stayed in Talpo for a while with my mum and dad. And then actually that's when I started the instructor certification because I had time on my hands, you know, with uh. other people with Chris Foles and a few people kind of like nagging me going, come on, man, you Use this shitty situation to put yourself in a good situation. And then I rode my bike back down um, the west coast, and then ended up working at TC doing summer maintenance. And 
yeah, and then got back into snowboarding. You know, it took me a summer to come right again, and then I was riding again next winter with my compound. That's not bad. Because you're also like hard boot, like doing hard boot and race training as well, right? You weren't just yeah. a soft boot freestyle guy. Even yeah, the sport was kind of almost 50 50 back then, you know, there was a lot of hard boots. And um, you got to say, like riding Alpine, oh, some people are into it, some people aren't. But it's quite a um, unique sensation, like standing on a big long razor edge and just like, you know, skidding. Just like I, I mean, some of my best days snowboarding, no doubt, is um, as that um, tour up in a blue pool of day, you know, like a classic like Ruapehu ice day up on the T bars, just hauling an ass on like a big long race board and just doing those big Euro cars, you know, where you're 100% in control and you're just fucking going down the hill like a bat out of hell, you know, like it's a pretty unique situation, yeah. you know, I'd almost compare that, not in the size of your gonads um, area, but I would, you know, like surfing big waves, like man, you're going to Mac 10 mm. and you're on a razor's edge, it was a cool sensation, man. Because who was that dude, um, Welly, Chris McKenzie, was Chris yeah, McKenzie? oh, Welly's back. Oh, see, like oh, he, now, Kenny he, Aotearoa. That's his what? new alias. Kenny Aotearoa. All right. It's not Chris Welly anymore. All right. Because yeah. he no. was um, a pretty powerful force on the, on that side of snowboarding, right? Now, so Triple Cone is a free rider's mountain. Right? Yeah. Free riding, you can free ride in soft boots like you see nowadays, and you can smash power and lips, and you know, and you've got, you got stiff boots nowadays and stuff. And then I kind of feel like nowadays, Soft boots are as advanced as hard boots were back then, you know? Yeah. Um, and Wally and those guys all rode like those Alps, which were like those hybrid, free ride, freestyle type of boards, you know? And um, Wally's a surfer. It's not just Wally, actually. There's this whole kind of like crew of hard boots. Some of them are still there. Um, uh, the, like TC, TC yeah, 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 yeah. And they shred the mountain, you know? You, mm. you, you get a billowing powder slope they smash it, you know, like they ride the mountain like liquid, you know, and actually that's what TC is, you know, TC is um, free riding and, and it's free riding terrain, it's not, it's not, it's not getting your jib on, you know, it's not, it ain't no rouse of TC, you yeah, know, yeah. And, and I've recently gone back there because of Kadona um, buying it and and me working there and I love riding that hill, you know, like it's, I've been away from it for a long period of time but I love a mountain that you've got to work hard to ride. Mm. But they're so, so they couldn't be more different. You know, uh, Kadrona is park focused, freestyle focused, but the reality is you can stand on your edges and straight line it from top to bottom, and yeah, you might get your heart racing, but only just. Yeah. But TC, you try to do that and you'll be wrecked only. You know? yeah. It's yeah. a mountain that you've got to attack, charge. Yeah, you, you can't, fuck, can't fuck with it too much. Well, it's, yeah, and you know, it's, it's, you've got to get your group on, you know, you shred that. Mm. What's your take on snowboarding these days? Are you still involved much apart from the event side of things? Or? Oh, no, I'm heavily involved, but I'm not involved in politics, which is cool. I guess I am slightly on the fringe with politics, you know, and um, I, lo I love the way the sport's developed, you know. I, I mm. reckon it's real cool. Like, you know, I, I can confidently say we helped Julian Brown, Mitchell Brown, Kendall Brown, you know, like a whole host of people take the sport globally mm. and that was through straight out hard work from a bunch of people you know like I'll take that, that we, we did that you know mm. but in the process we learned so much but we also structured the sport and it's quite ironic because nowadays I'm, in, I'm, I'm just as involved in cycle sports mountain biking downhill mountain biking 
And um, it's crazy to think that a sport like downhill mountain biking, which is so technologically advanced in the suspension equipment and, and bikes, is so archaic in its organisation and, oh, yeah. and lack of structure, you know, and if you, you've got a hard graft to hit here if you want to be a world champ on a mountain biker. Right. On a mountain bike, but if uh, you know, but if you show talent in snowboarding, there's definitely a pathway for you to take it to the best in the world. And you know, Zoe showed that the other day when she was shut in first, yeah, got robbed. <laughs> <laughs> See, she's but, um, on the wild card for natural selection as well. Well, she should be. Um, yeah. I skated with her the other day, which is really cool. On the yeah, she's up, a my six year old, and we went to the green ramp and we came around the corner, and Zoe and uh, Ben Richards, bunch of crummies, were sitting in the ramp. and and uh, which was real fun, and I was like, Oh, so you should you know, only transfer that spine, thinking no way she'd do it. And sure enough, she busted out, you know. Yeah, she's a phenomenal skateboarder, right? Yeah. Mate, did you see the footage of Sanjay's little boy Archie the other day dropping in the seven foot section? He's uh, fine, he so dropped in the seven foot section of, of Dream Ramp. Oh, Christ, so five year old's better than me now. That's yeah, cool, yeah. And then, wow, no, holy shit, will, give it six months. Oh, that's sick, man. Yeah. Go, Sanjay. <laughs> Maybe I'll fucking take up bowls now. Holy shit. Ollie Burke and Rion. <laughs> Have you got a good story about Ollie Burke and Rion? For well, us? I could, I, it took a long time for Ollie to get the gist of this. On his 21st, which is the Barrows, he got so obliterated drunk because he drank the equivalent of a yard glass and he vomited everywhere, including his girlfriend, on his girlfriend and his bed and all this kind of stuff. And he held it against me for years. That. Yeah, and it was only in the last wee while that we what was, he, what was he holding it? Because he thought that, because you need to drink a yard glass so you can drink 21 glasses of beer, right? Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. that's fair. So we lined up 21 glasses of beer. What I didn't know, and apparently it happened, is someone, once, his, once he drank the glasses, was filling up the glasses again at the other end. <laughs> so he sees. And so, you know, he thought he was more than capable of drinking 21 glasses of beer. And he seemed to think that I was lining them up on the other side so he drank, you know, 40 glasses or whatever while he thinks it is. You know, and he totally thought it was me and blamed me for him vomiting on his girlfriend and all over his bed. Nothing to do with me. I just, I just improvised and said, you don't have a yard glass, so just drink 21 glasses of beer, beer bro, you know. But he's a mate, and uh, it's good to catch up with him. And, you know what, if I, if I can say anything about my memory of Ollie Burke is actually quite an exceptional memory. And, that, and other people would have seen it, and that is him at Snowpark NZ off the cornice vert drop that was like triple overhead vert cliff on yeah. a snow skate, on a snow what? skate, dropping it. Holy fuck. So, you know, get a triple overhead. 10 meter, 15 meter cliffy, and yeah. he's riding into it and dropping it on a snow skate and riding out of it. Or... Riding park booters on a snow skate. Fucking hell. At snow park? No, no, no. Seriously. Holy 100%. Shit. Like, you know, on a board, Ollie is a smart cookie. And actually, mm. I haven't seen him skate lately, but he's got to get shredding the bottle. Mm. I mean, when I think of Ollie Burke, I think of like the huge Atlantis boards and the Corona half pipes and like 90 rolls and shit. And yeah, he's fucking gnarly dude. Oh, and then, and then Rion. I guess the thing with Rion is Rion is freakishly talented as well and super stylish. Yeah. But he's like this monkey guy. I caught up with him at the Shapies gig the other day. First time I've seen him for ages. Can't believe I lived in the same town to him. But you know, he's such a good dude. He's so down for the sport. But 
mean he doesn't do much. Yeah, he needs to do more. Yes, it's close by. He just needs to get to do more time on stuff. Yeah, but starting right at good dude and part of the big group. Yeah, well, he was a bit of an institution with the board house and that sort of stuff back oh, in the day. Oh, he was campaigning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, the Riddler. He worked for the Riddler. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Russell Riddell. Who was the right dude, right? Yeah, the right dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shit, I don't even know where to start with. Like, so you've been doing events for a while and stuff. Like, how is that as far as like, there's got to be a lot of pressure with like coaches and judges and that sort of shit. Yeah, like, I don't, I don't reckon anyone. It's funny because um, you know, I play a part in the management of Cadrona, but I'm quite a off to the side part of Cadrona, and and then I'm a bit of a free agent, and then I run my own team and stuff like that. But no, I feel. <laughs> Events is both easy and hard because, you know, you're provoking the stoke, you're putting on a good occasion, you know, you've got to bring a whole bunch of parts together. But it does, it is really hard work. It's like phenomenally hard work. And it's one of those jobs that never ends, you know, you can't switch off from that, from your job. And mm. sometimes your job wakes you up at night because it's like, oh shit, I've got so much to do. So it is a challenge, but I, I do really like it. It's, um, and I love the biking events as well. And I mean, the job's really cool. It's so varied. It's, it's really demanding, mm. um, but you know, Cadron is such a good place to work for more because of the autonomy and the freedom. But also, you have the ability to um, to to grow and develop and, and to implement and instigate and and you know bring yeah. people together. And I mean, you know, it is all about people. And so, when snowboarding started becoming part of the Olympics as like an OG shredding. Or was, as someone that was like from the first generation, like what was your thoughts of snowboarding becoming part of the Olympic? Oh, I don't have any problems about it. I, I think it fitted in seamlessly. You know, I don't. I, don't, I think it was so. Did you? I, I wonder about now with skateboarding being part of the Olympics. I'm kind of like, mm, so what are you going to get like a like an X Games arena? And yeah, you know what I mean. So it's, it's just become the X Games. Yeah, now. yeah. It's, it's another one of those things where someone is not actually you know Federation International Ski. You know, the International Olympic Committee, I've said it in the past, they're mafia, you know, they're like yeah. big business. And, um, <laughs> so Terrier was right all along with his um, boycott? And nah, uh, uh, no, nah, he wasn't, he wasn't. Um, uh, the right people moved across, but actually in the time that he made the stand, yeah, fair call, there was a bunch of old twats mm. involved that should have just kept their freaking nose out. The only thing that's fortunate is that a whole bunch of good people moved in and for the good of the sport made it go forward, you know. Because mm. at the time there was this clash between what, the FIS and the ISF? Yeah, yeah, and actually the ISF was um, John Bates, a New Zealander, who was the president of the New Zealand Snowboard Association prior to me and you know, John and a whole bunch of other people. And he moved on to the ISF and he did that because, you know, we were quite active in New Zealand and the Southern Hemisphere to connect globally. Um, but yeah, Federation International to Ski. Oh, so I think in New Zealand, we ran the very last ever ISF International Snowboard Federation World Championships. The very last ever. All right. Yeah, and John Beish was the last president of the ISF before it just had dissolved and was superseded by Federation International to Ski. And it's quite right. weird nowadays, I have to say, working with now with Bike Sport and working with um, UCI, Union Cyclist International. Doing exactly the same as so Federation kind of, International to ski, you know, so like it's meant to be the same people. So you've kind of rewound the tape a little when you go to deal with the like, oh, I've been through this already in the nineties. So oh, yeah, it's comical. Like, you know, a bunch of old twats. <laughs> no interest in the sport, but you know, just we'll, we'll drive it. Milk and the cash cow. Uh, part of the food chain, I guess, mm -hmm. yeah. 
Um, I can't have a conversation with you on here without talking about snot. Yeah, wow. Still my favourite band, really. Yeah. Um, just a couple of tracks, you know. <laughs> so I went to Vegas for that trade fair that they run every year. I'm there with a bunch of, oh, with Paul Trask, he was there actually. Um, and you and Straight and a couple of friends. And like you do in Vegas, you kind of like, what's going on? We'll get from A to B. You know where it is. We'll catch a cab. You know we go to this place. It's supposed to be Puff Daddy, and it's supposed to be um, Cypress Hill, actually. Mm-hmm. And we get there, and they're like, "Oh no, it's a band called Snot," you know. And uh, everyone's like, "Oh, Snot, Snot. You're not going to a band called Snot." I'm like, "I don't even know who these guys are, but I'm going to check it out." You know, I'm not interested in gambling and slot machines. So they leave me on my own in Las Vegas, in the middle of nowhere, and I walk into this venue, and this band called Snot is playing. And I mean, shit, you have to go to Spotify and. Play snot gets up, you know, or gets mm. up, and you get the gist of what was going on. They've only got one album, but it was like funk, punk, hardcore band, and it was just oh, so good. There's no one at the venue. It was a real small gig. Yeah. Um, security were typical Americans, you know, like you mosh pit and you crash into someone and they handcuffed you, dropped them before, dropped them before, handcuffed you, and now you out. So there's no mosh pit. So I just, you know, boogie round, skanked up my storm on my own. Then I watched them, like, light some bloody toilet paper on fire, and that was acceptable, but mosh pit <laughs> wasn't, you know? And uh, and I was like, wow, that was such a good night. Well, my friend, no big deal. And then years later, um, a friend of mine, she's playing, like, this, this, this album, you know? And I'm like, whoa, 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 I've, I've seen this band. This, this band's called Snot. And she's like, no, 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 you have not seen Snot. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I saw them in Vegas. She's like, oh my God, this is their album, you know, and I listened to the whole album. I was just like, wow, this is such a, this is such a good band. <laughs> so, yeah. So I've talked with like Ewan and Heidi a bunch about how snowboarding's sort of influenced and saved the skiing industry and gave birth to like free skiing and the rise of the Wells Boys and Twin Tip Skis and all that. So you would have been around when, like, the Wells boys were coming up and Oh, shit. no, my memories of Jossie actually were a little blonde-haired kid with long hair. He would have been, like, 10, 12, 14, um, either on inline skates or a skateboard, doing rollouts of the, you know, the nine-foot end of Wanaka Skate Bowl and doing court sevens, you know, and stuff like that. So, he, you know, he's a freakishly talented individual. Yeah. And then, you know, his mum's a... Um, a, a swim coach and you know the family are very behind everything that boys do you know they're an athletic um, supportive family and so there's no surprise to see those boys get to where they got to because you know they're talented they're all they're all yeah. really talented individuals but I mean the free ski snowboard thing was interesting because it actually happened way before the wells like yeah. it wasn't the wells that, that the free skiing stuff but it was the fact that um, we ran snowboard events for years and you know, ski racing, the skiing was racing, and then over time, it was much like kind of like age divisions. It's like you start running an event for the older kids, but then the younger kids turn up, so you have to add a division for them. And it was kind of like we were running freestyle events, and now for snowboarders, but actually, snow skiers were turning up going, This looks killer, can we join in? And so, there was one nationals that we were just like, You know what, he's gonna bring in skiing, <laughs> freestyle skiing, yeah. And so, we did, it was actually remarkable. So, we ran like the first. But we ran a junior nationals for skiers and snowboarders, and we brought the two sports together. And it was crazy to watch, actually, because it was it was all it was the same drummies. Mm, you actually was, had to look at their feet and figure <laughs> if they were ski boots or snowboard boots. Mm. But it was the same culture, the same community. That would have been a big deal back then. What for like, well, like fucking skiers and snowboarders at the same event doing the same thing. Mm. Like, was it as 
big a deal as... Oh, it was a monumental moment, and actually, I've said it before, there's two parts of skiing now, uh, two parts of snow sports now, there's race, and there's freestyle, Those, you know, yeah. that's the division within snow sports, it's not skiers and snowboarders. Yeah. Uh, there's so many people nowadays that are really good skiers and really good skiers. Well, it's like fucking Jussie Wells, and like, he's an amazing skier. And he loves to snowboard, and he's really good at snowboarding. He's better than... Like, he straps on the snowboard at doggersmoneypipe.com and oh, yeah. he's fucking doing oh, yeah. like cripples and shit. Oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, like, talented individual. Yeah, it's like, fuck, I snowboard all the time and I can't even fucking <laughs> do that shit. <laughs> Dino Johnston. <laughs> we have to talk about Dino. Like, yeah. Fucking. Okay, oh, I'll talk about Gene, Dino. Please. He knows the story, but I'll, I'll sum it up for you in a nutshell. Dino, way back in the days, Dino and Haley saw it. Started up a um, snowboard shop in, um, in Oakuni and were the Oakuni um, campaigners and and force behind snowboarding in the Oakuni region, right? They looked after me so many times. I had this amazing experience where I had this phenomenal um, breakdown <laughs> of my combi, of my road trip, of my. Oh, just so many things happened. And. Uh, and I'm stuck in a Okuni with a broken down combi and no gear and it's in the garage. It's going to cost me a fortune, you know. And I've got nothing to do but a hitchhike back to Calpo and I decide to go and see it. And I'm like, oh, I've got time. I'll go to Dino. I walk into the shop. Dino's like, bro, I've got a pyro. Nitro pyro you can borrow. And hey, you use the same size feet as me. And he gives me his nobody. He gives me his boots. And I go and have the wackiest day at Cooney, you know. Mm. And I'm like, man, that turned a nightmare into a good day. And then actually, it was only last year. I was kind of like, you know, I get X amount of free passes. And I was like, I heard the Dino, you know, it's hard for him to go up the hill because I was supposed to, you know, buy a house and all this kind of shit. And it's a lot of money to buy a pass. And I was like, Dino, here's a buzz, man. And he's like, oh, oh, what are you giving me? I'm like, mate, do you remember back in the day when you hooked me up? You, you know, you gave me such a good experience in such a bad situation. And, you know, it just goes to show it's all about paying it forward. And, you know, mm. Because, I mean, he sort of... Um, was he was, he grew a pay. Like, that, right? That's the... Nah, so the thing with Dino is, uh, I can't believe it took them so long to come down here. They were just... They just hung out and stayed in Cooney for too long. Yeah. But the thing you've got to know about Dino, and, and, and Dino did eventually come down and move to Wanaka and was at Triple Cone. Like, you know, he'd been in Triple Cone a couple more seasons than me, actually. Well, I'd been away from Triple Cone, and I remember going riding with, with Dino at TC and just watching them in, like, um, uh, just in the powder bowl where there's all those spines and stuff like that, and just boosting, like, big kind of, like, transfer lines and shit like that. And Dino, you know, Dino's a good free rider, and, mm. and he's a good all-mountain free rider. Well, he's part of the original. Do you remember when he smashed his face on Bulwer Rock? Do you remember that? He, like, catastrophically stoved himself no, into, I heard a, about into it, a... Um, to a lift station that triple going holy or fuck. into a rock after dropping a rock, I don't know, something like that. Smash he had to get reconstructed surgery. He bubbled himself. Fucking hell. Yeah, it's crazy. See I I no, I just think of Dino Johnson, I was thinking of him writing for Focus. And I was well, like, what the fuck is Focus? And yeah. that front three off that rock and the New Zealand Steve. He's a good style of writer, you know? Mm. And then they went on to do Chop and all sorts of fucking cool shit. Oh, you know, like most of the most, you know, and so the chop thing was, was, um, him looking after That's Yeah, right. Was. Mentioned, um, before, before we got this, Pam Bell. Like, <laughs> like well, cause, cause she people was, probably don't know Pam Bell. She, no one will know who Pam Bell was. I don't 
she was probably the like reigning female snowboard <laughs> champion until <laughs> eight years later that she's ahead of the time. So the whole thing with Pam, she's one engine base. She was good friends with Steve Dunson, I think, back in the days. She was a Ruapehu rider initially, you know, but had the ability to kind of travel around and come down here and stuff as well. She was a hardwood rider and she was a freestyler and she was just a damn good snowboarder and she was mm. better than everyone else at the time, you know. Mm. And um yeah, so and, and she used to go to Whistler actually and do back to back Whistler seasons and Pam was the first Olympian. That's quite a claim to fame. The first New Zealand snowboard Olympian. That's that's an amazing claim to fame. And I think she used to she's probably got a house in Monica and she probably turns up here occasionally, but um yeah, no, no. Um early pioneer, super talented, um represented the sport at the highest level and um and, and I imagine now that it's her family and her snowboarding down here occasionally, so well yeah. done, Pam. Yeah, and then sort of laid the groundwork for people like Jew Bray to sort of come along. Yes. Am I, am I right with that assumption? Or? Yeah, no, 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 no. So Jew was, you could almost count, you could almost look at it in generations. And so I guess you can then go back. So Pam was, I mean, Pam was way early in the sport's development, like mm. real early. Nagano, right? Yeah, 98 or something. Yeah, yeah, and then Jew, Jew. Oh, this is something you got to remember about Joe. Joe is um, a barracuda, all right? And a barracuda, okay, so the pink girls and the barracuda girls. If you don't know about this stuff, this is fucking no. crazy. So um, there's this whole mob. They come from, you know the barracudas, from skating in Dunedin, right? Okay, but so Joe, I think, is from Wellington. So she's not typically a barracuda, but there's a whole bunch of barracudas that live in, in, in Wanaka. And Joe kind of connected with those girls. And those girls, like, did um, through uh, your Bex, and she used to do this pink clothing label, and she made... Snowboard skirts, <laughs> snowboard no, dresses. No way. And because they were all like core snowboarders, there was an eight of them. Now, such a good bunch of girls, you know, all really good snowboarders. Sharon, like, there's heaps of them. And, um, but through Bex and Pink, they used to have this look to them where they actually snowboarded in like skirts. Really? And they shredded, you know, right. and Jew was kind of like, I think she was probably a pink rider back then, you know, back then. Yeah. But the thing with Jew is she's just, you know, once again, she's a powerhouse to this day yeah you know what i mean she's a phenomenally good snowboarder she's she's fast she's strong she's super capable and stuff like that so yeah you know jude took that pathway as well worked really hard at it real hard at it and you know got to the olympics and, and represented she went twice or something yeah, yeah 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 sweet and so being around the scene for a while have you noticed the difference between say groms and then Back in the day, and Groms now, like, well, no, no, like I think the key is to recognize talent, you know, like mm. there's a lot of people that go through the motions, um, but then there's people that are talented, and that's the hard yeah. part is to recognize who's actually talented, yeah. Um, speaking of Groms, Mitch Brown. <laughs> I, I think the coolest thing about Mitch is Mitch is uh, a person who came up through the sport, took it to the highest level. Was, was once again, he he was a he was um he was like a grommet that that um started snowboarding at a young age and took it globally mm. and uh, and got as good as he could get. You know, he became world class um, from a young age. He just had this like linear progression to like. I'm good at the sport, I'm supported in the sport, and I'm going to be as good as I can globally, and I'm going to represent it nationally. And so he did this, let's call it a competitive pathway, right? Now, if someone does that, 
They have got so much experience that you just can't lose from the sport. Mm. They, they, you know, they know the sport. The, the sport is their life. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can have other things there, your income and stuff like that, but, but snowboarding as much as life is what he's growing up doing. You know, he's evolved into the champion that he is. Well, Mitch is Zoe's coach. Yeah. And what better coach than Mitchell Brown? You know, like, been through it, took it to the highest level, all right? Those two must just gel. I mean, he's a hard man nowadays. <laughs> he's a taskmaster, you know? And, yeah. and and it would be, I know there was a period for Mitch, it was a really hard period that a lot of people have been through, Trevor went through it. You know, where you're the best at your game, but then you take it to the highest level and you inevitably either stay at that I'm the best of the best or you go tick that box achieved what's my next goal yeah and your next goal might be oh build, do a building apprenticeship but you know what you are just too valuable to the sport we've got to keep you in the sport because you've learned so much over the years yeah you are as you are the best back then so we want the best to train the best yeah and Zoe is testament to that yeah. you know Mitch was the best and he's he's coached um, Zoe, and she's the best, mm. you know. And so that's interesting because you know he was a whole gen. I once again, I think of that as a generation, and then Zoe is the next generation. Yeah, pretty cool scenario. Yeah, and I mean, fuck, he can probably stick to most things still, and like riding wise and stuff, right? Like, that's mm. mm. yeah, he's mm. a fucking strong rider. Nice. Yeah. Um, on a bit of a segue, what's this? I heard about you riding with MCA from the Beastie Boys. Oh no, that was a long time ago, actually. But it was yeah. a pretty damn cool experience. Um, Adam York was good friends with Brad Risa. Brad Risa and um, what ran uh, the snowboard shop in O'Connell's Pavilion in '88. Mm. Seamus Butt worked there in '89. You know, like there's this long history there. Adam Yorick came out to see Brad Risa, hung out at Cardrona for a period of time, just free riding. I met him through there, you know, teaching, hanging out in the calf. It's hard to comprehend that it's Adam Yorick, it's MCA, the MCA, yeah. you know. Um, but just such a, it was just crazy experiences because, you know, he is a rock star yeah. in the true sense of the word. But he's also a freaking nice guy. And it's crazy watching the, um, the film on Adam's life. Um, and they mention him coming to New Zealand and really getting into snowboarding. It was only for a couple of years of his life, you know. Yeah. Met him in New Zealand. Um, actually, when we were part of the Booger team, we ended up in Snowbird. And we ended up in Snowbird and we went riding with, and first it was MCA that, you know, you're waiting for those big um, those big gondolas. And Adam Yura comes up to me and he's like, hey, I met you at Cadrona. What's your name? It's Spy, isn't it? And I was like, oh, Adam, how's it? And he's like, oh, yeah, this is Andy Hetzel, and this is Mikey Bassage. You want to come yeah. riding with us? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, <laughs> so I had a day riding Snowbird with uh, Mikey Bassage, Andy Hetzel, uh, MCA, um, and a few other crew. And, man, it was, uh, it, was, uh, it was a crazy experience because one you saw where Andy Hetzel and Mikey Bassage were on another level yeah. in snowboarding to everybody else. Like, you know, we lined up a hit. And um, it was a cat track hit, you know, and I'm like, yeah, we're jumping off the cat track and landing on the slope. And then it dawned on me because they were talking about speed. They weren't talking about, like, dropping the caddy. They were talking about gapping caddy to caddy, you know, and it was a shit. big gap. And I'm like, oh, shit, actually. And sure enough, they did it, you know, and it's like, wow. <laughs> That's what pro snowboarding's like, you know, and then we drop the cliff and it's like, same thing. It's like... uh Okay, there's this stuff off to the right, but then there's a double cliffy to the left, and they drop the double cliffy, and of course we drop the 
right, single. And it's like, wow, they're another level, those guys, you know. And Adam's part of it. The crazy thing with Adam, with Adam was like us. He wasn't like, you know, he wasn't at the Andy Hitz and Mikey Bassett's level. Um, but he was a quiet spoken guy and he was kind of stoked that we were there and he could kind of show us around. We had this real funny experience where um, back then, same as around here, it's all about like, don't do war hits, you know. And um, we've been fishing the war hits. And the ski instructor skis up and he like vibes us on it doing the war hits, you know. He's like, you guys, can you not read the signs? This sign says no war hits, you know. And I couldn't say the line or the rhyme that, that, um, that MCA spat out because he hadn't talked much, but and you didn't see him in the in the Adam Yara Beastie Boys kind of mode. But he just turns around, everyone's kind of quiet, and he just spits out this rhyme. It just sums up how stupid and kooky and kooky and and ridiculous this like jumped up ski instructor was for like vibing us about war hits to the point where there was this sort of silence, and then there was just everybody just fell over laughing, you know, because he just ridiculed this like wanky ski instructor. You know, and it was like, oh, that is MCA. You know, he's like, a, he's a rapper, he's a musician. He's like, he's, you got to see mm. what was inside him. You know, just a cool experience to meet the guy because he's a super nice guy. Ah, oh, sick man. I mean, not not many people can put that one in their CV. Mm. Yeah. Um, did you deal much with um, Dave Partridge and the Snowsticks side of things? Mm-hmm. So Dave Partridge and Marilyn were Christchurch, Marilyn. I just applied for this on Facebook the other day, actually. Marilyn did the clothing, Dave did the boards. Snowstacks were amazing. Like, man, boards are ahead of their time. And I don't think to this day people realise what Dave Partridge has contributed towards the sports because, you know, that track system you see on, on Burton boards, mm. he invented that. Really? Yeah, he invented that. And he did a dual one, and he did it on, and he did it on his own boards, and he was employed by a company in the state somewhere, Revelation Snowboards, and then they did it, and then they got brought out by Forum, and then Forum got brought by Burton, and the whole motive for that was the track system. You know Fucking what I mean? Hell, yeah. So he's done that. And then actually, uh, last time I heard from him, he's got some other thing that he's trying to paint. But he's just one of those guys that's like, um, he, he's a quiet spoken guy. Um, he, he loves the sport. His brain is works different to everyone else. He's super talented. And yeah, he, um, to this day, I, I'm looking forward to him to meet his kids. Yeah. I bet they're ripping. I yeah. know they're ripping. And um, we will bump into them snowboarding at some stage, and I hope we bump into Dave and Marilyn because, you know, they need to come back and sport. They're in Wellington. Um, you know, I think they're probably still surfing and snowboarding and doing their thing. But, mm-hmm. yeah, that was a crazy time. And a lot of people, the, the sport was, was the sport developed majorly because of snowstick snowboards. Yeah. You know, like um, unit was snowstick snowboards. Yeah. End of story. And, in fact, when snowsticks wound up, John, um, um, Johnny took the old snowsticks moles and made his same snowboard, which was ribcage, which was ribcage, you know, which man, which was know. which was unit, you know. And but he produced for a few people though. He did like unit. Trevor Ponting had a brand through him for a while. Podium right. or Syndicate. They were all the same boards. Though. Trust. The boards had exactly the same side guts. Yeah, you know what I mean. And they, and he used the same construction. And yeah, Johnny Johnny was a big influencer in sport actually. And Shit, you know what? You'll see Johnny's boards, ribcage boards to this day, and I guarantee they ride better than the majority of boards out there. Because mm. they just got, and, and, they, and they all stemmed from Dave Partridge. Yeah. <laughs> Man, shit, he was, I mean, I didn't know about the channel system. That's fucking nuts. No, no, that's it. Right. He, he admitted that, yeah. Um, uh, I don't know how to, but I was just going to say Aaron Bolt. 
Oh, oh well, so. Aaron's still around. Had some yeah. funny yarns with Aaron because he's up. Because like wide load and Sinead. Yeah, 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 wide load, yeah. <sighs> wide load were um, hard to find, little store in Christchurch, upstairs. It was when snowboarding was desirable, boutique kind of brand. There's heaps of different brands. He brought in the best of the best. Um, you know, he's a good, they were, him and his wife were good riders. You know what I mean? He was an advocate for the sport. And continues to be so to this day. Mm. And um, yeah, I mean, what's he up to now? Oh, he's working for Cheapskate, so he works oh, for right. Mark. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I saw, I talked to him just a little while ago. He lives in Brighton still and surfs with Roy Hawthorne on oh, occasion. Because Roy, Roy's a heli guy now or something. Yeah, but he's also a um, patroller at um, at Cap Crosses Adventure Park. All oh, right. Yeah, I had a good chat to Roy the other day. Because oh, it was like him. Quentin and Trevor were like massive in Japan or something, eh? Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 Roy. Yeah. Roy is massive in Japan. Yeah. He's not a massive in uh, stature, but he's massive <laughs> in Japan. You know, when I knew him, he lived um, alive on the doll eating tiny titties. <laughs> boxes and boxes and boxes. And so I think titties. there's a run in the second named after him called Royce. Yeah, I would be surprised. Yeah. The thing about Roy is he's a tech dog. Mm. End of story, he's a tech dog. You know what I mean? He was another person who was just like generation, yeah, and forward everything, switch everything, rewound everything, you know, shifty. Were those crew the first crew to sort of blow the seco open? Uh, Oh, well, I guess what happened was people wouldn't see it, but um, there was that period where there was three half pipes at Cadrona, and all three half pipes had 150 people in them, and they were all Japanese. Yeah. (laughs) So there was 300 Japanese and. They would mob in at the start of the season and they'd smash themselves throughout the year, uh, throughout the winter. Some of them would hit the slope style so damn fast, not thinking about connecting with the landing and they tended to flap. You know what I mean? Like there was this, um, there was this uh, spate of injuries of all of the Japanese with like stars in their eyes to become champions. And the ones that survived the season were and the ones that didn't went home and were, you know, with injuries. Um, and... Uh, and at that same time, you had Roy and Brenton and all that, and Trev, and then they were good friends with a bunch of those guys, and they went back and they lived with those guys, and that's how they got their Japanese connection. You know? Yeah, so because I mean, there's like there's so many dudes over there. Not right now, but usually this mm. is like fuck. They were, I got the impression they were the first. Are you still riding now? Me? Yeah, like yeah. riding snowboards and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I did a few days of TC this year. Um, it's kind of like my mode of transport for Cadrona, <laughs> yeah. but um, if I take a day off, I'll go ride TC or the clubbies if I get a chance or whatever. And me, you know. but yeah. I pick you, pick your days. And like, because Dylan's hitting the snow now, and Laura and stuff too, right? Oh yeah, yeah. He's sexy skis, but yeah, I think that's what ski or snowboard. Um, whatever you do. Is there anything I've, I'm just probably shitload of mass reminded of that spike round two once. Once this goes out and he runs over, come blue. No, like it's the only award you got, like Holly Bergman, Brown, Will J, Abby, blah, blah, blah. I reckon what will happen is that we'll join the dots, you know, and mm. just kind of carry on because, um, you know, you're going to meet a bunch of other people and the stories are going to interconnect and there might be, have to be some comebacks. Yeah, yeah. No, I do want to say one thing because yeah. I just reckon it's 100% unspoken and um, people really, really need to acknowledge the phenomenal. Um, stage of development that happened and that's snow park. Yeah. Seriously. Snow park. Oh, yeah, man. Okay, so people just don't get this. All right, and this is 100% Sam Lee. 
Yeah. All right. Hundred percent Sandley. Now think about the Lee family. You know, it was John and Mary that started Cadrona Alpine mm-hmm. Resort, right, and then sold it, and then went back to the other side of the valley, right. And so Sam Lee connected with the free ski side of the sport. Is an absolute visionary, mm. an absolute visionary. Like I, t- I do not think anyone to this day realizes what he did and how amazing it was yeah. within the sports development. So you know, far ahead of his time. So right? far ahead of his time. Like a phenomenal area, like period of development that advanced the sport. You know, like snow park was the first of its kind. It was an absolutely amazing experience. The people that drove it, it's a huge part of their life. They still remember it. They'll never forget it. The things that went on were both crazy, but also, like, the development of the sport was incredible. You know, like, man, I mean, Sam Lee advanced snowboarding and skiing globally, incrementally from what he did. And Snow Park was an absolutely phenomenal What's well, like um, facility experience and period in sport development? Like, you someone needs to do a book with photos of, of snow park because people to this day won't remember it. Yeah, or won't know what we're talking about. And but man, it was it was humongous. Like it's hard to think about snow park without thinking of that first section of that's it. That's all. No, you know what I always yeah. remember. Ken Block. Yes. <laughs> Ken Block turns up with a Zabaru and just starts hussing up. And first he's dragging people into the rails and they're doing things. And then he's like, oh, I might hit the park booters. And he hits <laughs> the park booters in Zabaru. You know, like, yeah. you watch that video now, that stuff could not, could not happen nowadays, you know? Yeah. Crazy, crazy times in the woolshed. Like, you know, we all lived up there from time to time. We all stayed the night up there. Um, the other thing I almost, I think, needs to be acknowledged is um is um the senate because what happened is you know the the snow park was a challenging business model mm. you know it was dealing it was looking after a small crew of people eventually and it very much the pointy end not the recreational part of the sport but then the senates came in and they tried to keep that thing alive and they tried really hard and they absolutely battled you know mm. but they did it for zoe and dylan and and you know for the sport and that's the other one is whilst Sam Lee was the instigator and the pioneer and the visionary to make it happen, you know, I also feel like, you know, the Senates tried really hard to keep it alive and the sport kind of changed after the after their period of time and yeah. let's say it's kind of plateaued and mellowed out a little bit, but man, that was quite a bubble in the sport that people need to know about. Yeah, it's nuts to think it's been I, I think when you talk you know, to Tim and Will and 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 all those kind of people, you'll you'll get a better understanding of yeah. Of snow park, you know, like it was amazing. I just remember it was hella fun, like especially the night rides there and shit. Yeah, the best thing that could have happened, that should have happened, and didn't happen, is that when Real Journeys brought Cadrona, we should have also brought snow park. And man, we'd be in such a different situation if we had of that yeah. place would still be alive and it was disassembled, dismantled. And now it's just a memory for a lot, good memory for a yeah. lot of people. But actually, that shit was way cool. Oh, it's so sick. Mm. And, um, well, we might wrap things up then. So we've got the stock enders. Oh. So, um, fuck it. Uh, favorite rider? Oh, I've already said it. Two. Two? Uh, favorite mountain? Um, snowbird. Snowbird. Favorite board? Oh, still got it. My 66 450 Salomon. Woo! Oh, shit. Rips. I, I don't collect old boys. 
I'm still riding my old horse. <laughs> I seriously thought you were going to say the Burton Twin series. Yeah. From there. Uh, favorite video part? After Bang. The whole damn movie. Oh, that is fucking yeah. good. Yeah. Favorite gig I think we covered unless no, there's something else. No, I don't think. Oh, actually, yeah. Um, no, FX was pretty funny in Christchurch. There was oh, really? Many times, yeah. Oh, yeah. Tell us more. Oh, oh no, 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 no. Well, you mentioned right. Wally already. I think he was, yeah. from, right before, but he was just about to leave New Zealand. And, yeah, no, no, no. There was some, yeah. No, FX <laughs> gig was pretty funny. Favorite city? Um, oh, shit. Um, Vancouver? Nice. Mm. Favorite trick? Oh, just big alley hoops. Big alley hoops. Or, or shifty rewinds. <laughs> shifty rewinds. Rewind. So, yeah. Uh, favorite board graphic? Um, oh, Ouija board. Yeah, of course. Nice, classic. Best method? Mm. Shit. Oh, I tell you the best method. Arthur Longo. Yes. Holy moly. That's fucking. He is next level. Nobody Sweet. goes as big. Nobody has the pop. How no, good? No, no. How good is his side hit euphoria edits? Man, I just watched him at the Piper Cadrona and went, "Wow, that guy is insane!" Yeah. And as someone that's renowned for having a good method himself, what's the key to a good method? Um, floating. Floating. Yeah, man. Right. You don't necessarily need to tweak. You just need to go long and lofty. <laughs> so, man. Well, that's that's it um, for for this episode. Thanks for coming in, Spy and. Hopefully, in time, we might have a round two and uh, see what uh, see what else comes up. Yeah, look forward to listening to the other folk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cheers. All right.